0: Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader.
1: If you go through life and and you take the best of any situation or the best from any situation that you care, it helps to shape you as a leader and make you stronger.
0: Welcome to the human ceo i'm your host amy stevenson and today i'm joined by susan obey susan's the chief secretary at saint helena government she began her career working in education as a school headmistress before becoming a public servant susan was officially sworn in as chief secretary by the governor of saint helena in april 2018 after previously serving as saint helena's director of strategic policy and planning then as deputy chief executive for economic development for the island's enterprise saint helena program Susan joins us today to share her insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Susan. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you, and thank you for the opportunity. That's oh, great to be. I'm looking forward to this. And, and so, in terms of your role, then, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and and, and where you do it, please? Okay, so so I've got a rather um, old
1: fashioned. I suppose my role is actually chief secretary um, in the Saint Helena government or the Saint Helena public service, mm-hmm. but in actual fact, I suppose I am the chief executive for the public service on Saint Helena Island. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you're aware, but Saint Helena is a British overseas territory. Mm-hmm. We've a population is is around four and a half thousand people. Uh, we're a tiny dot. Uh, about 47 square miles in the middle of the South Atlantic Ocean, with Mm -hmm. the nearest landmass, I suppose, being uh, Africa, uh, and and in particular Namibia, which is probably about um, four hours by plane.
0: Okay, wow. Wow.
1: Um, And then another island to to the north, off of us which is Ascension Island which you might be familiar with mm-hmm. because during the Falklands crisis it was a staging post but it's also another British overseas territory. So a bit of a, um, a bit of a challenging role in a way in that you know we're so isolated here that we have to be uh, quite resilient in terms of being able to, to cut we have so many single points of failure because obviously the size of the service, size of the population, means that we don't have the luxury of having two or three of any particular posts if, if you see them. Um, yes. So. yes. I'll stop the edges in case you want to ask a question.
0: Well, I was that was so the question that I wanted to ask next was about the challenges that you're up against as uh, a leader in that kind of situation. So I, I was reading about um, telemedicine is something obviously that's changing the way that mm-hmm. things happen on St Helena. So what other challenges are you up against as yeah. a as a... Person in a leadership role within Saint Helena. So uh,
1: it, it's really about the isolation and the remoteness. So it's which I see as being two slightly different things. We're sort of isolated simply because uh, you know we're the only we're the only obviously the only public service, but also we're we're sort of um, we don't have immediate access to. Um, to, to, be, to, to get some support. We're, we're beginning to rely a lot more now on, on the, uh, the internet and remote support, but uh, obviously that works up to an extent, but it does mean, for example, that we have to be able to, um, to, to, to be fairly self-sustaining in most areas uh, because we sometimes find ourselves, for example, without we, we had a brief period earlier this year we didn't have a surgeon. Uh, And so it meant that if, you know, we we had some GPs, but if anything had happened, then we would have had to medivac people. Mm -hmm. We do medivac uh, serious cases in any case, but that's the sort of indication of the kind of um, complexity that we have to deal with. It really is about how do we put systems and and structures in place that will add a degree of resilience uh, uh, to, to a service without it's sort of uh, meaning that we're having to sort of double up on, on, on everything and everybody. Yes. So, that, so that's one of the one of the complexities. Uh, uh, another challenge, of course, is as an overseas territory, we're also one of the few territories who would be totally to um, aid funded. Mm-hmm. So the majority of our, of our funding on an annual basis is UK government and, of course, Course, with the UK government being in the kind of situation that it is at the minute, mm-hmm. we face challenges um, such as being able to fund our ever-increasing costs. Uh, because as we're an island, we're also uh, heavily reliant on exports and in, uh, on imports, sorry, for some mm-hmm. of our sort of food or most of our materials, because there's not enough that is produced locally in order to be able to sustain us. So whilst we're sort of working to address that in the, sh- in the medium to longer term, in the short term, we do find ourselves um, in a situation where we're having to do quite a lot with very little. So that's another challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, COVID hasn't helped the situation. No, I, I have to say that we've been very fortunate but apart from a few cases that have been picked up in quarantine, the island was is generally um, COVID-free. So throughout the pandemic, we've been able to live a pr- pretty much a normal life here. You know, we've we've had no restrictions on physical contact, or nobody has to wear masks. In fact, um, the only time mask wearing is that happens is when we have people arriving on the three-weekly or, or monthly flight uh, that we've managed to uh, establish um, in, in the short term. Mm-hmm. So what happened for us when, when the pandemic struck? We, of course, then found that because our, our, air, our air service operates um, from South Africa, we then couldn't um, operate, our, our air service couldn't operate here. So we were stranded for several months without... Uh, with the only access being a monthly um, freight ship that calls here with goods. Wow. So we, we didn't run out of food or anything like mm-hmm. that, but it meant that physical access to and from the island to people was, was, was very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And that's been the term um, all the way through the pandemic. So that has created huge issues for us in terms mm-hmm. of being able to get staff. And, 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 and you yeah, know our recruitment program has suffered quite drastically as a result. Mm-hmm. I
0: can imagine. And 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 so your background then, Susan, your your route into leadership was that quite organic or was it by design? I can see that you've got a teaching background originally.
1: Yes. So it, it was actually, I have to say, it, it, it was it was quite deliberate on my part. So I I, I, I have a. Um, a teaching background in fact I was in, in education for um, a good number of years more than 20 years mm-hmm. and decided to take a, so I was in leadership in education and my last uh, my last post there would have been as head teacher of the of the only secondary school on the island and then I decided to take a, a career break, and I took three years out and did a variety of things but recognised that I, I, I really wanted to move into, into leadership in the public service more generally. So I came back in, and, and between sort of 2010, I suppose, and 2018, when I, when I, when I uh, was able to secure this role, it's been a bit of a leadership journey for me in terms of both the jobs that I've applied for and done, and also the uh, the developmental side of you know the learning that I've tried to acquire in mm-hmm. order to be able to support that journey. And so it was quite deliberate. Um, I, I, I always had an aspiration that this was the job that I wanted to, mm-hmm. more so because I am a local and the role has, prior to, to, to me taking on the role, it has traditionally been a, a, a contract role. Mm-hmm. which is usually being carried out by what we call technical, cooperative, uh, technical cooperation officers, so TC, okay. um, which is what we refer to locally, mm-hmm. uh, which would be through the um, FCDO-funded program. So it, it was quite deliberate on my part because I felt quite strongly that the role could be local. And I also feel quite strongly that um, it's the one role that needs that level of stability. Mm-hmm. And when you have a high turnover of chief executives, you know, who come and do between two and three years each, it means that the service is subject to um, to changing ideology, changing uh, styles and of leadership, etc. And having somebody in the role. Uh, who's here for a bit longer than two, is, I think, offers that sort of level of stability. Mm -hmm. But I was also mindful of the fact that um, I didn't feel that I wanted to be um, blocking other people coming through. So the fact that it's sort of towards the end of my career Mm -hmm. means that I've got a nice chunk of time in the role, but there's also a clear pathway out for me. So mm-hmm. it means that hopefully other people won't see it as I, a, a local person now has the role, and there's no chance for you to apply it to So, so that's really where I'm at that.
0: Okay, brilliant. And and in terms of leadership, then, <clears throat> excuse me. In terms of leadership, how would you define a, a, a strong leader or a great leader? Are there certain characteristics that you think are particularly important, or is it sort of case by case?
1: I think there are sort of general um, characteristics that all leaders need to have, and that means, um, first of all, being, you know, being a, a being somebody who is obviously uh, somebody who can listen, somebody whose staff feel they have access to. I think accessible leaders is really important. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked in organisations where you know, that the leader sort of sits in the office behind a closed door. I've always upgraded an open-door policy, but I also feel that a leader needs to have that uh, that very sort of strategic view of, of, of where it is that the organisation needs to be going, mm-hmm. needs to believe in that strongly enough in order to be able to communicate that to uh, the people that he or she is working with. So it's, it's really about being accessible, being able to communicate, being a strong person. And uh, and particularly, this is something that I find here because it's a very small community that I live and work in. So it's a bit like a goldfish bowl sure and it means that you can never really truly switch off. So okay. you have to be able to uh, chance a course where you are seen to be uh, fair, Mm-hmm. But you'll also seem to be um, strong and, and able to take a decision, and it would be very easy to sort of hide behind, I suppose, a closed door, mm-hmm. and and not do that. But when you live when you live in, in the kind of community that we have, you you have to really own any decisions that you take. Mm-hmm. So it's about like getting the balance between um, being accessible, but also being able to step back and say, look. These reasons we need to do X, Y, or Z. So I think from my perspective, it's about providing that that vision. And don't get me wrong, I do be I do feel quite strongly that vision needs to be a shared one. I don't think it's that I come in and say, right, this is where we're going, guys, you know, follow me. Uh, I I do feel uh, quite strongly that it needs to be a shared vision, and there needs to be a shared understanding of where we're going but more importantly how we're going to get there so it's um so i think those are sort of general traits Mm -hmm. then of course it depends on the circumstances so you sometimes find um that that depending on 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 what the situation is you apply different leadership characteristics or tactics as it were Mm -hmm. so when things are going well you know I, i find i step back a lot more i am able to delegate a lot more but being small, we sometimes find ourselves in periods of crisis and we were in one at the minute with our health service. where We are sort of really short of staff and we've got some major staffing gaps. So I then take a far more hands-on role and uh, I'm sort of out there and, and, and sort of banging the drum bit mm-hmm. and trying to give support, show support, but also... Um, I do strongly believe that sometimes you just have to muck in and get your hands dirty so in a small organization like this. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to sort of uh very much sort of gauge the situation and um and, and then I try and apply the sort of behavior, the leadership behavior that I think applies in that situation. Sometimes I get it wrong mm-hmm. and sometimes I get it right. And if I get if I get it wrong, then I, I try to make sure that I don't make the same mistake again because yeah. again in a small community like this you, you make mistakes mm-hmm. too often and you find mm-hmm. that you you know that you become sort of tarred with that so it's it's treading a, a delicate balance I suppose.
0: Yeah, absolutely and, and in terms of advice if in terms of your leadership style then has that been shaped by advice that you were given in the past or has there been an experience that's really shaped that approach to leadership that you just spoke about?
1: So uh, yes, it has, and and I would say I, I've had the fortune to work with some really good leaders and some not so good leaders. Mm-hmm. So um, very early on, I, I recognise that um, this is learning to be had from every situation. So even if I, I'm in a situation where I'm working with a leader who I I sort of maybe disagree with in terms of ideology or or, or leadership style. I do try to see what what I can take from that, either in terms of, okay, Susan, just you know, make sure you don't do that when, when you're in that role. Or alternatively, it's um, what sort of strong things can I get from that that I can then emulate if, if I'm ever in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I have found that I've been shaped, I think, by the people that I've worked with. And I've also been very fortunate over the years to have some really good mentors who have been there. I mean, you know, I, st- I, I have one mentor, for example, that I work very closely with. He's since left the island for a good number of years now. Mm-hmm. And yet I still have, you know, from time to time a check-in with him. And because he knows the island, I can say, oh, you know, what do you think about this? What to think about that, and I'll tell him what I'm doing, and he knows me well enough to offer that kind of advice. So I think it's to—I I, would—it would be wrong of me to say that it's entirely my own doing because it isn't. I, I think if if you go through life and and you take the best of any situation or the best from any situation that you can, mm-hmm. it helps to shape you as a leader and make you stronger.
0: Yes. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, and. Um, with regards to advice that you would look that you would look to offer someone that was following in your footsteps or hoping to take a step up into a leadership role, what advice would you share with them? I would
1: say to them, honesty is the best policy, and that's something I learned very early on in my career. I remember sort of through my education journey, as I said, I sort of did a leadership. Um, journey there as well and I remember when I was head of faculty for example and, and I, I had I had a very smart team working with me and um, I didn't do something it was part of the process that I hadn't done and so I I told the white line I said oh I, you know I, I had done it and it came back and it with me quite badly mm-hmm. and I recognized there and then that it was always best to put your hands up and say look I'm sorry, I didn't do this, or I messed up here. Um, however, you know, this is what I'm doing to address it. And, and that is something that stuck with me there, because I, I realised that you, when you're a leader, you just can't wiggle your way out of the situation. You have to be accountable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you won't always get it right, or sometimes you will overlook something. So I believe in honesty is the best policy, but I also believe that you're not you don't have to take it to the level where your honesty then um, so say for example, if I were talking about somebody's performance and I and, and I wouldn't take it to the level where I'm so bluntly honest where I make somebody feel bad about themselves because again, I think that's a journey as well. and I'm fortunate that I didn't have that experience and I wouldn't want anybody else to have that so. It's it, it's about knowing the situation. It's about knowing the people that you work with, but it's also about recognizing your own um, your own sort of abilities, if you like, and knowing that when you're when you're when you're in a leadership role, sometimes there's no way to hide. So you have to yes. just hold yeah. your hands up and say, "Sorry, guys, I messed up on this one. I won't do it again." Yeah, absolutely. So that would be advice. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other thing I would say is is really know your, um, you know, it's a bit like if you're working in a shop, know your product. Mm-hmm. So for me, I recognise that I head up a public service, so we, you know, we've got obviously health service, education, the police, we've got environment, natural resources, the whole gamut. Because of course, we, whilst we're small, we have to run the same sort of level of the same kinds of services that you would in for a country. Mm-hmm. And I recognise that I'm not an expert in all of those. So, but at the same time, I also recognise that I have to be able to talk about my services and I have to be able to to know enough about what's happening so that I can advocate on behalf of the different services when I need to. Mm-hmm. So it's about knowing, knowing your... I'll say knowing your product for want of a better phrase, but it's knowing the organisation that you work in and that you lead, and that you have the good fortune to be able to lead, um, but and, and at the same time also knowing um, and understanding what what leadership really is, it, you know. So I, I think that that's the
0: other piece of advice that I'd give somebody. Mm-hmm. That is great advice. And, and with regards to you mentioned a mentor from the past that really shaped your your leadership style that you respected that you'd taken um, quite a lot of insight from. Is there a leader, past mm-hmm. or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire? And if so, could you share them with us, please?
1: Mm. I, I have to say there's there's lots of people that I admire sort of from history in terms of their style. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go down and say, say the usual ones. For example, I, I, I've always admired Mandela. Mm-hmm. I've always admired Mahatma Gandhi for, for the sort of principles and ideals that they embrace. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that I would agree with everything that they do, but the fact that they're inspirational and they inspire people to overcome um, huge obstacles and still carry on is something that I, I, I find um Inspirational. I also admire, um, on the sort of international scene, I suppose, Obama, uh, and, and what he stood for. Uh, but I recognise that for every person that somebody admires, there will equally be other people who will see another side of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I sort of admire the qualities there. Um, of course, being in a small, isolated community as well, you, you also don't have the same sort of level of, um, of, of role models locally. But there, there have been a few people that I've worked with locally that I've aspired to be like. Um, so previous governors um, who I, I've sort of worked with who I, I feel um, I, I liked their style, Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I, I think to 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 sort of pick just one person, I, I'd find it difficult. Mm-hmm. I also have to say, and this might sound a little bit controversial as well, but sometimes I do admire the very strong leader who, in a crisis, sort of grips, um, grips, takes sort of you know takes a grip of everything
0: okay.
1: uh, and gets it sorted out.
0: Fantastic. And, and are there leaders in particular that you would? name from that from that sort of cohort are there leaders that you're happy to name that you particularly admire from that perspective so i used to be a history teacher
1: in my previous existence Mm -hmm. and
0: i suppose
1: it's it's always safer to to go to the past so if i think about somebody like napoleon for example who brought a sense of order out of the chaos of the french revolution okay but then of course instead of sort of building on that he went on to become dictatorial you know, real. Uh, but if I think about the kind of things under his leadership were put into place like the curtain Napoleon, you know the sort of societal changes that took place um, that you know that would be somebody that I would say is has got sort of admirable qualities but then took it to the next level where it then became um, undesirable in terms of the leadership style. So that's where I'm coming from. It's when you have a chaotic situation, you go in, you might not talk about, well, this year, I'm just the head of a public service. So you don't compare it in any way. But I suppose the the, the direct lesson from that is that sometimes you have to step up, you have to lead from the front. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mantra usually is, I I try and lead from behind um, whenever I can, because I think it's important to, to to put other people forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay fantastic thank you and uh, one thing that I'm always really interested in is what people are reading so the leaders that we speak to on the Human CEO podcast I always want to ask sort of what are you reading or are there books that have shaped your leadership style in the past so that we can build a a, a reading list almost? So I suppose again I tend to sort of Stripping and out
1: of things, but books that have probably made an impact on me in the past would be obviously the uh, Stephen Kirby's The Seven um, Habits. Habits of Effective Leaders, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, books on change. Um, uh, in terms of this, there's, there's one book that really uh, I know it sounds a bit odd, but it's, it's, a, very, uh, it's a very small, insignificant book, but it did have an impact on me in helping to understand change. Management and that was who moved my cheese. Yes. I don't know if you've ever yeah, really read it, but it's a very small book. Yeah. But it, it 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 had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um I I to to say that there's one particular book that has um, has sort of stood out for me would be difficult. I suppose I'm interested in in sort of learning technology, and I've got a whole vast of books on that. Um it's the fifth, the, the fifth discipline. Peter Peter Senge's um, "The Art of the, the Learning Organization" is another one that um, okay. has sort of helped to shape me over time as well. So it's difficult to sort of pinpoint one particular mm-hmm. book or one particular author. I tend to dip in and out. I tend to also read, for example, um, you know, I, I dip in and out of uh, podcasts. I dip in and out of. Um, of, of blogs and so on um, but mostly being on a small isolated um, island you have to adapt a lot of what you read to fit um, your you know whatever it is that you're doing mm-hmm. and, 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 do you and the challenges that, that we you find you know, that we yeah. have to deal with
0: Fantastic, and and so over the next sort of twelve months, six months, what are the um what what's on your desk over the next six to twelve months?
1: So we're going through a transformation program at the moment, um, something that we call fit for the future. Okay, which um, when I when I came into this role, um, I, I I sort of had a I I I had a fairly lengthy time in terms of being able to think about what i would want to do you know given that i'd have sort of thought about this role 10 years ago before i actually uh well just under 10 years before i actually applied for it so i i knew about the things that i wanted to i wanted to shape if you like or influence um and of course one of the things that i've always been concerned about is is the public service and the culture so we've introduced a a, a program where we've got sort of um he, I suppose that he, also we recognise that in a small community people tend to look to government as they refer to it here to provide the answers to everything mm-hmm. and so everything that goes wrong it's easy to say oh well you know is that not done in, in government or down we, we they refer to it locally as the castle because we rather grandly have our admin headquarters in a building which is known mm-hmm. as the parcel um, and um, so there's so there's that tendency to see the public service or government as being the scapegoat for things that go wrong, but also as the organisation that has to do everything. So changing that kind of mindset and culture is quite challenging. And I've been very fortunate that I, I, I've had a, well, I've got a director of uh, HR. He is very much um, is, is visionary and, and has got huge experience mm-hmm. with organizational development and change, and so between us, we were able to craft um, a, a transformation program, which I have to say is it has its um, it has its strengths, it has its weaknesses, it has its uh, it has its fans, and it obviously has its opponents. Because change is always difficult, mm-hmm. but there has been a concept locally that once you go through a change program, then that's it—you sit back and you don't have to do anything else. Where I'm far more about it being re- uh, being responsive to changes and, and you know dynamics in the environment, and not just locally but also internationally. And so I'm trying to instill a culture. Of being able to respond to the challenges that we will obviously come up against as we go through the next uh, period of time, so we we want to try and change that. We're also on the cusp of um, of of going live with uh, with the fiber cable. So we we currently have a very very expensive and unreliable internet connection via satellite, mm-hmm. which uh, has which has really impeded us uh, and our ability to be able to do very much yeah. uh, and, and fortunately just recently we, we were able to land a cable um, and so going forward obviously we need to also look at how we can make the most of that um, that resource because I, I, I do feel that that is going to change the way that we'll be able to both work and do business mm-hmm. with. Uh, both locally and, and with the wider international community as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the way that COVID has changed the world of work and the skills that you must have on the island. Maybe they don't need to be on the island if you've got that level of connection. No. Exactly. And
1: and I think for us, and that's the that's the exciting thing about mm. this, you know, it's that hopefully um once once we're sort of money and, and we've got a reliable connection, we'll be able to tap into resource Far more um, readily than we can at the moment, simply because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited about that, and even in terms of being able to attract people who want who want to do business here as well, yes. knowing that they can still um, they can still do it sort of virtually rather than having to actually physically be on the island.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: I think that for some time yet we're always going to be quite remote, even mm-hmm. though we're hopefully going to be starting our regular air service in the next uh, month okay. it's only going to be a fortnight it's only going to be a fortnightly service mm. so whilst it's better than what we currently have it is still going to be limiting and so i'm really excited about the private community brilliant.
0: brilliant that's great is there anything else that you would like to share with the the listeners about leadership and your insight that you've learned over the course of your career i i suppose it's, it's
1: about being resourceful as well. So one of the things that I've always tried to do is acquire a toolbox over the years that I've been working because you never know when you're going to need it and particularly when when you're working remotely, that toolbox becomes quite important. Mm. So I find myself very often drawing on the kind of tools I, I would have used when i was in education for example Mm -hmm. and and i I have a thing where i i believe quite strongly that anybody who's able to teach a class of teenagers is then able to deal with just about any situation (laughs) because um you know nothing is more difficult than, than 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 doing that so from my perspective i would say never be afraid to draw on previous experience. There's some people who think, oh no, I don't teach anymore now. So i you know, whatever I did there want to apply here. Even when I'm, you know, even if I think about things uh, in my personal life, socially, everything can be used uh, to, uh, you know, positively, if you know how to use it. So number one, build up your toolbox, but more importantly, number two, know when to use the tools. Uh, you know, and which
0: tool to use um, and that comes with time and experience absolutely that's good advice that's really good advice and I agree with you if anyone that can stand up in front of a room of teenagers can probably do just about anything
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> brilliant well, thank you for taking the time Susan I really enjoyed speaking with you but it's been lovely talking with you as well Amy yeah, I've enjoyed it I've enjoyed it thank you for making the time